Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the episode 19 of the Sense Hour podcast. It's Shane alongside Derek. Before we jump into it, we've got a quick word from our sponsor, DraftKings. Uh, 50, the 55th Super Bowl is this weekend on Sunday, if, as many of you know. And the game, this big, Brady Mahomes deserves big prizes, not just some trophy. DraftKings, the official daily fantasy sports partner of the Super Bowl 55, has up to $55 million in total prizes up for grabs with their Super Bowl prediction pool. How is that for big? You know, that's a lot of money to win off of one game. Uh, All you have to do is get your share of these huge prizes into enter DraftKings free Super Bowl prediction challenge. Once you submit your picks, you will get a free instant prize up to $25,000. So, I mean, you're winning even if you just enter. You have a chance, $25,000. That can go a long way. And if you have the most predictions correct, you can win up to the top prize of $1 million. Download the the app now, enter the free prediction challenge, answer the questions like who will score last, and boom, get ready to make it rain. DraftKings has paid over $7 billion to its players since 2012, so they know a thing or two about big paydays. Download the app, DraftKings app now. Use promo code TPHN to enter free $55 million Super Bowl prediction challenge. Everyone gets an instant prize up to $25,000 just for playing. Super simple. You get to play, you get to win money. So remember, promo code THPN now, $55 million for Super Bowl Sunday. Head on over there, website and app. And obviously, you know, customize sports. You know, big sponsor. They've been sponsored for the last, uh, they were a little bit for last year and now this year. Head on over to customizesports.com. Senzauer gets you 10% off as well. It enters you into our contest. The contest will be officially up after this episode. I know it said it last time. Things came up. My bad. But... Now we're over the introductions of our sponsors. Thank you, Derek, for waiting patiently. I know it's a lot of talking. And we just lost Shane, I believe. So uh, he was just introducing us, and he is coming back momentarily. There he is. He's back. <laughs> be an episode without something going and missed, right? Absolutely. And, and that's the way it goes sometimes when we're live, but uh, Shane is back with us. Shane, how are you doing today? I'll introduce you. How about that? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been good. It's been kind of a, of a crazy day working on some stuff behind the scenes. Uh, how are you? I've heard it's been a, a wild morning for you. We were talking privately. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I believe it's been, it's been less, cal- it's been calmer than your morning. That's for sure. Yeah, no doubt. I'm dealing with uh, a little bit of a sickness right now. So if my voice sounds off or sounds worse than it normally does, um, that would be why. And uh, yeah, I'm anxiously awaiting some uh, test results to uh, hopefully show that it's uh, something other than COVID. But uh, my my optimism levels aren't uh, nearly as high right now. So yeah, rough morning. Yeah, I mean, hopefully they're, they're higher than... Uh the optimism level around the Sens fan base after the last uh, couple of games. I will admit, after the shaky start to begin the game, which you can argue Hogberg had some misplays, especially the dry sidle goal where he lost the net, he he kind of solid, like kind of calmed down and after this after the first period. But man, it's been a rough nine games for the Sens. Oh man. I mean, yeah, starting with goaltending, I mean, first and foremost, it, it doesn't matter who's in the net, whether it's Murray or Hogberg. There's been some very forgettable moments in the crease for the Ottawa Senators in these past nine games. 
It's been ugly. Um, as you said, though, Shane, like Hogberg did bounce back nicely, which was good to see. I thought he lost his composure a little bit on that fourth uh, goal that Dreisaitl scored. Uh, as you said, he ended up like on the side of the net. Like he wasn't even in the net. He basically gave up the whole glove side. Or it might have been actually it was blocker side he gave up. But uh, yeah, he gave up the whole net to Dreisaitl and uh, got maybe got intimidated by uh, the big German moving forward with the puck. But uh, it's been forgettable to say the least in the last nine games. Yeah, I mean to to give Hogberg some. You know, not to defend him on that play. It looks like he just lost where he was in the net. But I've said it before. I was saying it on Twitter. This looks like a team with a whole new decor outside of two guys. And, like, you can add Riley because he finished the season in Ottawa where they haven't played together a lot. And it's, like, pretty evident that the goalies don't trust the defensemen to make the proper plays. And the defensemen don't trust the goalies to make the save. So you have play, you have goalies cheating, thinking that we're going to get beat to the wide side. Uh, and then you have players cheating, trying to, to help out the goalie because they don't think the goaltender will be able to make a save. It's, it's a whole lot of messed up right now. Yeah, the old saying goes, you win as a team, you lose as a team. So, I mean, we could all sit here and point the finger at the goaltenders because, you know, the goals against has not been acceptable. But the truth is the whole team has not played well. In front of the goaltenders, I mean, the the play that Coburn made last night was unexcusable as well. It was, you know, he just let Pugliarvi basically walk through him and get a huge rebound opportunity to put it in the empty net beside Hogberg. So, I mean, we could point the finger at Hogberg and Murray, but we could also point at the defense and we can also point at the forwards who are trying to, you know, contribute defensively as well. So it's just been a, a... Poor team effort overall for the Ottawa Senators through the last nine games. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, at least it was 4-2. Uh, I know we we talked a little bit of this on Twitter, and I'm going to bring it up. Timmy Stutzler going down and blocking that shot um, in the third period. I know you're not a fan of it in a in a play in a in a regular season game, but personally, I think that's exactly what you want to see in a in a way that things haven't gone. You know, it's not like we're getting the bounces friggin'. Watson deflects the puck for like what the four straight game where it's gone off our own player and into the net. I don't know. I feel like something like that, it shows that he, his willingness to like compete day, day in, day out, no matter the score, obviously would have sucked if he got hurt, but then he goes out and scores a goal. Yeah. He bounced back. It seemed like, um, you know, I was initially, I was worried about a break because I know from playing hockey, you get hit on the laces where he got hit. I mean, that's just one of those spots where there's no padding at all. Um, but but going back to what I said on Twitter, and that's the thing, I guess on Twitter, when you say things, it can get, I guess, misconstrued a little bit or misread. I, I, I didn't mean for t- to come across as I don't want to see him blocking shots at all. I just meant that the reinforcement, the positive reinforcement that he got from Coach DJ Smith was huge when it pertained to the shot blocking, but not nearly as big when he's out there scoring goals or creating offensive opportunities. Of course, you want to see all your players buy into the mentality of blocking shots. Um, you, you know, maybe you don't want Tim Stutzla or Brady Kachuk or, you know, your top, top players sprawling down like uh, um, Stutzla did, throwing his body in front of the shot. Um, but but it doesn't hurt to have a block here and there from your best players because it, it does show the rest of the team that, 
we mean business and, and it doesn't matter what the score is. So I get that sentiment for sure. And I think a lot of people agreed where, you know, it's good that Tim Stutzla is out there blocking a shot. But at the same time, I don't want him risking injury. I want to see a full, healthy season from Tim Stutzla. And I want it to be centered around the offense that he brings, not around his defensive woes, because he's going to have some. Oh, yeah, 100%. And I think that's where I, I have no issue with the po- like positive reinforcement on anything is good. You know, he had the goal. He was generating chances. You know what you're going to get out of him offensively. And as a coach, like, you know, his, his defensive woes, his defensive awareness has probably been his biggest question mark. Uh, we saw it improve in Germ- like in the World Juniors with Germany. You want to, like, if you want to give him, you know, you, you're doing really well on the defensive side. I don't see it being an issue. I, and I mean, after one goal, uh, I think what it was, he only got one goal. He didn't get credit with the second assist. No. Uh, for the Paquette it was, goal. It was Watson. He wasn't even on the ice. <laughs> yeah, I thought so. I'm also, I didn't, I also thought Zaitsev took the shot. At least that's what I heard that, like, if you listen to the broadcast, it says Zaitsev, but unless he passed it to Shabbat and they just didn't get it off in time. Uh, but I don't know. I feel like positive reinforcement at this stage of his career, this early offense, defense, if it's good and, and you take it and you accept like, Hey, maybe it's not the offensive side, but like, at least he's not ragging on him for, you know, a bad defensive play. No, it's probably just me being a little bit nitpicky and a little bit upset with the nine games that we've seen here from the Ottawa Senators and, and a little bit from DJ Smith in, in his deployment of his players. But um, overall, I think it, it was nice. Obviously, he gifted Stutzla with tons of ice time at the end of that game, um, you know, clearly indicating that Stutzla earned his ice time um, at the end of that game. It was probably overall his best game in the NHL to date. And I feel like we're saying that with almost every passing game, but you could see him moving forward in that uh, in that bus, if you will. I guess, he, you know, he's in DJ's bus and right now he's kind of at the back of the bus and he's got to work his way up to the front of the bus uh, until he finally takes over driving that offensive bus. And it's just a, a horrible analogy, but, um, but moving towards the front of the bus and, and Tim Stutzel is moving up, moving up. And eventually he's going to have the keys to the bus and he's going to be on the number one power play unit. He's going to be getting minutes alongside some of the best players. But uh, for now, it, he is where he is, and it, it's going to be a game-by-game basis. Yeah, and I mean, we'll touch up on, on that stuff uh, a little bit later. But going into this Edmonton series, the first game, five-on-five, five, we dominated. You know, it, we, we outscored them five-to-four, uh, or no, four-to-four, four, I believe, on the on four, like on five-on-five five chances. They outscored us four-to-one on – on the power play, that's really where we lost the game. Murray and Hogberg did not look good. Is there anything good out of that game outside of the fact that we put up five goals? Yeah, I, I guess the offense broke through. Like you could point to the five goals that they scored, although it was on a non NHL goaltender as well. I mean, you have to look in between the pipes. They had a 22 year old in Skinner who's never played an NHL game. And his entire career and wouldn't be on the team if Mike Smith wasn't injured. So um, there was definitely an opportunity there to score some goals. I thought, um, you know, Drake Batherson getting his first goal was nice for him uh, to finally break through offensively. There was a few positives for sure. I mean, uh, as you mentioned, the, the Corsi 4 percentages, if you're looking at the analytics side of the game, 
it was actually five versus five on five. It was actually a good game for the Ottawa Senators. But at the same time, you could look at score effects to, you know, make an argument that the game was out of hand so quickly for the Oilers that they just kind of sat back on their heels because they were able to and coast to the victory. And, and that's kind of what happened in that game. Um, but if you're in it for taking positives for the Senators, yeah, there was a few players that needed to break out that scored goals, Colin White, Drake Batherson. Um, so that was nice to see. Yeah, I mean, we to be fair, if you're if you're a Suns fan, I know there's been a lot of anger and, and frustration with DJ and, and with Pierre Dorian, which rightfully or wrongfully, that that's a different conversation. But how many people were, like you had them last in the in the standings? Majority of the NHL has Ottawa last in the standings. Why are people? Why do you think people are reacting the way they are when this was expected? Like, were people expecting more well, like to to lose with more young guys in the right lineup, or like, why do you think people are acting like this? Yeah, no, I, I don't think it was expected, and I think that's that's what it is, Shane. I think it was expected in the standings that Ottawa would be in last place but not to this degree. I mean, this nine-game win streak has taken the wind out of the sails uh, when it comes to, you know, Sens fans who were kind of on the fence, whether they wanted to buy in to this rebuild or not. Um, This has kind of taken the wind out of the sails, and uh, I could see it kind of all over the place. Just uh, interactions alone are are far down compared to before the season. People were really excited. Um, Just the idea of even competing for the playoffs and looking at games that you're trying to win versus games that you're trying to see players develop. It, it was exciting. Um, and the excitement was gone quickly and dramatically. And, and it's the demoralizing fashion that the Ottawa Senators lost these games. I mean, if you look back, these were absolute blowouts. I think I, I put out a tweet out at one point, they were outscored 41 to 15 in the last nine games. It was not even close. And there's Brennan. What's up, Brennan? Yeah, exactly. It's it's the fashion at which the Senators lost these games. Exactly uh, what Brennan said there. It, it's very true, and you know that's that's where people are being disappointed. That's where people are kind of losing their minds, if you will, on Twitter. And uh, it, it was unexpected. I mean, even to me, I looked at the roster before the season and versus the roster before last season. And I look at this roster and I'm saying, yeah. You know, this there's going to be some improvement this year. We're going to see some strides forward. We're going to see a much better power play. We're going to see a much better penalty kill. We're going to see better goaltending, and, and that certainly hasn't happened thus far, Shane. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I just the situation that DJ's in is not the best. Let's be honest. You know, no training camp, a huge amount of roster turnover. You don't get to see what some of these players are really made out of in you know, a preseason setting. They don't get to learn the system. They don't get to play with each other, you know, in games. But what do you think it's worse if we were, let's say the record was the same, but we put in, you know, Logan Brown for Formington uh, and uh, Branstrom. Do you think being one eight and one is better? Like would be good for them being in that kind of environment or would it take a, a negative hit? And I think, you know, personally, I think it would take a negative hit. You have a bunch of kids in a losing environment that doesn't usually bode well. You know, Edmonton is a prime example of that. 
Yeah, and another one could be the Buffalo Sabres. I mean, um, you know, that's another team. If, if you look at comparables for the rebuilds, you know, Buffalo's is probably as close to Ottawa's as anything in that they tore the foundation and the walls off the rebuild, and they basically started from the ground up, and it hasn't really panned out for them. Even though they've had luck with draft picks, you know, they had a first overall pick, they had a Jack Eichel, they had a Rasmus Dahlin, and it just hasn't really panned out over there. And, and it's it could be the same thing here, and it could not be. We, we don't know yet. We have to see it through. But going back to your question, you know, is it bad for these kids to be in this environment? Yeah. I mean, it's bad for the players that are here. It, it would be bad for, uh, you know, Eric Brandstrom, who's about to come to Ottawa. It would be bad for Logan Brown. It would be, it's bad for everybody to get used to that losing environment and to be in it. And it's not just losing. It's that demoralizing fashion that they're losing in. I mean, it, it would be totally different if these were 3-2 games and they were in the hockey games. And that's why it's crucial for a young team to have a goaltender that's able to bail them out. They need, they right now, they desperately need a goaltender to bail them out. And I'm not sure what the answer is. I, do, I mean, I agree. I think the goaltending situation has been flaky. I've been on the boat of giving Hogberg a couple of starts in a row, just like you did at the end of last season. He got on a roll. They started playing with confidence. The lack of finishing ability really, he, they could have had a better record than they did. You know, he was 5-8-8, eight, and eight, and you can make an argument that eight of those games, like he, he only really had one bad game, and that was against Pittsburgh, uh, where it was like 5-1, and like Malkin scored, like there was like three goals within the first like five minutes. But going, like, you know, we can talk. The Edmonton thing was a, a debacle. We're playing Montreal on Thursday and Saturday. I think it's only a two-game set, and then we're back against Edmonton. People are saying put the court in net against a team that has made Holtby and Demko look like AHL goaltenders. I don't see the benefit of putting the court in against that team. Yeah, I, I see your point, Shane. I do see your point. I, I think I argued your point probably on Twitter and, and said, you know what? They have to shake something up. They have to try something new because right now Murray has no confidence and Hogberg is playing in front of a defense with no confidence and, and he doesn't look very good. Um, you know, he, he completely lost his net on that, uh, on that goal for going back. But there's been a few opportunities here where you could see Hogberg just, he doesn't have confidence either. I mean, the rebounds are bouncing off of them and they're going right in the slot, just like they were for Murray. Um, so it's, it's, they're playing against each other. Exactly what you said, the, the defense and the goaltending, they're playing against each other right now and it's not a good situation. So shake it up and, and try something new. Why not bring in Joey Decord for a game? Bring him in for one game. If it doesn't work out and you end up with an 8-1 loss against the Montreal Canadiens, you were probably going to lose 8-1 if Murray was in net or if Hogberg was in net. And I don't think it totally destroys Decord's confidence when you have this history, this nine game history of basically the exact same performance. So to me, it's like, why not just shake it up? Try something different. If Decord gets up, if he comes in and he lets in four goals and the senators are close, like it's a four, three game. I mean, that's a huge uplifting bit of confidence that the team needs right now, because DJ said it himself. This is a fragile group. Yeah, and I mean, I think the veteran, and he said it yesterday as well, you know, 
the veterans are playing are being propelled by the young guys and we're going to see more young guys in and we'll talk a little bit about more about it uh after the break uh but we'll continue previewing the montreal series this team is not primed to make noise against montreal price has a winning record over month like over ottawa uh jay gallant has a surprisingly good record uh last time i looked against ottawa i would not like i, I expect Ottawa to get demolished against Montreal because Montreal just looks, you know, like the best team in the Canadian division right now. Yeah. I've watched Montreal play this season. Um, and I've been extremely impressed. I mean, before the year I, I told you, I didn't believe in some of the off season changes that Montreal made. Um, now having watched that team play, that's the best team in the North division. I'm willing to say that with confidence all the underlying numbers will speak to that as well. You know, they're, they're a team that's always been very good analytically. They, they possess the puck really well. They take care of the puck well. They have great goaltending. They have great defense. And their forwards are just extremely fast. I mean, if you're playing Coburn and Goodbranson against Montreal, they're going to beat them every single opportunity. And, and they're playing with the most confidence I've ever seen that group of players play with. And added to the mix is Tyler Toffoli, who's lighting the league on fire right now. He looks absolutely sick. I mean, it, it's disappointing that Ottawa missed out on him in the offseason because he's just tearing a new one into the Vancouver Canucks, and it was fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, Toffoli has one goal. He has eight goals against the Canucks and one goal and one assist against anyone else. But, with, I mean, I think just ta- that, that's just a time thing that will come. But like I said, you know, when we had our uh, season preview uh, discussion about, you know, where we think teams are going to rank, I did say that Montreal really depended on Suzuki and Kokaniemi on if those two guys would be able to take that next step. And both of them, especially Suzuki, has taken that next step. I've been, you know, watched a couple other games. I'm very impressed with what this top, you know, that top 12 really has done. Anderson has come in and, you know, been that deciding factor. He's been a big body getting goals. And that defense has just been remarkable. Like the top four has been solid. I think Montreal has a serious chance to make some noise if they, once they get to the playoffs, if they stay healthy. Yeah. I think, you know, going back to Suzuki specifically, if he can add a shot to his arsenal, I mean, he's going to be one of the very best young players in the game. He's a great center now. He's got great playmaking ability, great speed. If he adds a shot, he's going to be even more dangerous. I think that's something that uh, Montreal will probably want him to work on. But uh, yeah, they, they have a very good team. Uh, if you're Ottawa and um, you're looking at the underlying numbers going into this uh, two-game series against the Canadians, you probably don't even want to look at it. You just got to focus on, um, you know, focus on winning a shift. I said it last time we talked, but focus on the really, really small things and hopefully incrementally you can build upon that. But uh, you don't want to look at the underlying numbers going into this matchup because they quite frankly do not favor the Senators anywhere. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that top, I, the top line, if it stays together or the top six of, you know, Kachuk, Norris, Batherson, Stutzla, White, Dadunov, if that top six stays together, even and put Paul in there, whatever, if they can get some consistent offensive zone time, because one thing I will know, I will admit, Montreal's defense and Montreal's defensive zone kind of scheme, they like to chase the puck a lot. And But the thing is, they can 
you know, they're fast enough that they can get to the puck before you. If they can win some of this 50-50 battles and get the puck moving in the offensive zone, they can get the goalies going side to side. They should have chances. And I think Kachuk being in front of the net, he's going to get into the people's skin. I think Ottawa could steal a win, but they're going to have to get some really good goaltending for who's ever in net to get that, like get a win. You know, and that, that's been another issue for the Senators early on in the season is winning puck battles. You mentioned it here, the 50-50 puck battles, but th- they have so many younger players that are just physically not mature yet. So, you know, they're going up against players, NHL players and NHL bodies that are just dominating them when it comes to puck battles. I mean, I've seen a, a couple of occasions where it's one on three and it's the other player versus three Senators and they're the ones coming away with the puck. But you know, you've really got, you've got Nick Paul who could win puck battles, Brady Kachuk, and probably Drake Batherson who added some strength. And outside of that, the, the Senators are getting dominated in that category as well. And, and that's really, that's really hurt them. Yeah, I mean, I'd add Connor Brown into that mix. But yeah, the, the 50-50 battles are going to be huge. The The clearings ha- have to be huge. You know, Shabbat came back the last game, looked relatively decent, had some mistakes, but nothing, you know, you nothing bladed, nothing where you could be like, what are you doing? He's not, you know, he's not Mike Riley. I was like, gonna trip, say that. <laughs> like tripping over yourself, tripping over the puck. Yeah. Um but it, it's gonna be interesting. You know, Landon's still hurt. Uh they have Mike Riley, they don't don't know what's going on with Brown. That defensive core has been a muck. Mm. And we did get some good news today. Um and we'll head into break with it actually. Uh, Coburn was put on waivers for designation to the taxi squad. Uh, Asperat was sent down to Belleville or in Ottawa, whatever. And our our very own, our favorite defenseman that everyone loves to talk about, Eric Branstrom, has been called up to the taxi squad. They're expecting him to not play Thursday, but to make his debut on Saturday. Okay, yeah, I didn't. I didn't know that uh, second part. I thought he was uh, expected to play Thursday. That must be new then. I saw some things on Twitter where they said that we should hold our expectations of him playing tomorrow. Uh, it's more likely that he'll he'll have practice with us. He'll ha- he'll do the morning skate, but uh, he might not even he may not even go to Montreal. He could just stay in Ottawa uh, and then join us on Friday and then play on Saturday. Nothing's confirmed. The organization hasn't confirmed anything. I guess we'll find out tomorrow, um, tomorrow morning. Yeah, fair enough. We'll keep following Bruce Garriock, who usually reports those things pretty quickly. So we'll find out whether it's Thursday or Saturday. But, uh, you know, either way, it's going to be nice to see Eric Brandstrom getting some time with the Ottawa Senators, as he should, um, being that the American Hockey League, at least for the Canadian team's um, has yet to get underway and we still have no official start date. They have some hypotheticals, Um, but I'd like to see the rest of like, I want to see Formanton up. I want to see Logan Brown up. I want to see all three of those players uh, get time with the senators right now, because what's to lose. Yeah. I mean, I think we're going to see it. I think right now our biggest need is on defense. Uh, I know there was reports saying that, you know, there might be other roster moves done, before Saturday's home game against the the Canadians, it could it could be some a simple case of hey like uh, if Brandstrom doesn't play Thursday, they can have uh, you know Shabbat and 
Riley with, you know, uh, good Branson or Coburn or uh, Brown slotting over to the the left side for a game. And that Friday we could see Paquette, Stefan sent down, depending on how they play uh, with, you know, Brown and Formington being brought up. I wouldn't rule it out. Anything's possible at this point. <laughs> you know, I was oddly disappointed that Paquette scored that goal because I thought, oh no, like, here we go. This is going to solidify his spot even more in the lineup when I think, you know, all the numbers speak against him being an NHL player. And we forget that Galchenyuk is right there, sitting there, you know, who could easily come into the come into the Sens lineup and provide much more than Cedric Paquette is. So, that's been a, a one of the more frustrating storylines early on this year. I think I think the thing is though is that like if you're calling up Brown and Formanton, they're you're going to play them fourth line. You know uh, who, who you have to play them higher up. But do you really think Tierney, Connor Brown, or Nick Paul have really sh- like have they played themselves out of being a, like a, a third line player? Definitely Nick Paul. Nick Paul has probably been our most consistent player all year. Mm-hmm. Tierney has looked good, and so has Connor Brown. So can you really justify not playing those guys, like giving them fourth-line minutes? Yeah, or I don't know. Do have, I don't like, know about Connor Brown. I mean, he's not finishing plays. Like, he's just – he's had a few chances, a few breakaway chances. They're not going in. He's not adding a ton to the lineup for him to be justified to play fourth-line minutes. But I think to answer your question, I think it would be kind of an even distribution of minutes among three of the four lines. You'd still have Brady Kachuk, uh, whatever line he's on with Norris, playing the prominent minutes and the most minutes in the game. But I think outside of that, it's basically whoever is going that night that's going to get the minutes. Because it, it really is, it's a crapshoot right now as to you know who the second best Senators line is. Um, we know that Brady Kachuk, whatever line he's on, he's the one driving the play and he's the one creating chances. But outside of that, it, it really is a night-by-night basis. And um, I've been frustrated, as I said clearly before, with the deployment issues that have been going on. And sometimes I feel like guys that don't deserve the opportunity are getting the opportunity. And I'm speaking about Cedric Paquette mostly. But uh, yeah, that's that's been a frustrating point this uh, this season. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Paquette has been frustrating. And I do, do think it will be an even distribution, but that's something that we have to consider is, you know, how are fans going to react if they look at the, the lines and it's Formanton, Brown, and Watson on the fourth line? Are they going to – like, how are fans going to react to that? Are they going to get mad? Like, oh, why do you have these guys on the fourth line? The minute that Formanton does – or Brown is out of the lineup for Anisimov or, or Galchenyuk – People are going to lose their mind over it. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, all of that will happen. (laughs) All of that happens now. I mean, uh, fans lose their mind over the smallest things at this point because of the, you know, the nine game losing streak. I mean, any little thing, when when the Sens conceive the first goal of the game, fans lose their mind. It's it's going to happen. And, And as fans, we're the ones that number these lines. Like we have to keep in mind that coaches aren't really numbering the lines like that. They're looking at it game by game basis, who's going this night and who's not, and that's who's gonna get the ice time. Yeah, I mean, very rarely now do you see it like obviously you can there's a big indicator like on the competitive teams, 
there's a big indication of, you know, this is our, our top six, this is our bottom six. But on those teams, like if you look at Tampa, they ruled four lines, including Paquette. Like Paquette did have some good chances and had playing time with Tampa. So maybe DJ is looking at him with a little bit more of a, a leash. But overall, like it, you want to roll full lines with comfort knowing that, hey, I can roll my fourth line against their top line and they can shut them down and produce offense with limited minutes because I understand that my fourth line is not going to play more than my second line. But we don't have that in Ottawa. We literally have line one, which is Brady Kachuk, and then line two, two, like two A, two B, two C at this point, because we don't have a clear indication on who's the best players for which roles. No, it's not it's not clear in Ottawa, that's for sure. That's one of the murkier things. And that's what this season's about. It's about finding out, you know, who's gonna be your players, who's gonna step forward and be your second line and who's going to be your third line and defensively, you know, who's going to be a defenseman on this team aside from Thomas Shabbat. And, uh, and we're, we're still asking the question in net. I mean, who's the number one goalie on this team? We have no idea right now. We have two number four goalies because they've been that bad. I mean, they're playing like ECHL goalies right now. So we're still looking for a goalie. We're looking for a second line. We're looking for a third line. We're looking for, guys that are willing to step up and play a role and establish themselves. And I'll say that some of the young players are doing a good job at at doing that early on. I think, you know, Brady Kachuk's had an excellent start to the season. He's driving whatever line he's on. He's driving it. He's taking the puck to the net. He's Brady Kachuk. We know what he is, but outside of Brady Kachuk, there's very few players that we could say we know what they are in the NHL. I think we're still learning about the rest of the team, and that's been the biggest problem. Yeah, 100% agree on that. But with that being said, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, We're going to hear from the Blue Nose podcast again. Fantastic, guys. And when we're back from the break, we have some interesting news with TSN coverage with the Sens diminishing some more. Uh, We talked about the branch, and we'll kind of talk a little bit more about that as well as the Coburn stuff and, you know, uh, possible trade bait going on right now. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. And now the starting lineup for your Blue Notes podcast, Tom Franklin and the man called Wags. Hello and welcome to Blue Notes. I am one half of your Blue Notes team, Tom Franklin, Joined by my teammate, the man called Wags. And we are your home for St. Louis Blues coverage on the Hockey Podcast Network. And that includes expert analysis, whether it's at Enterprise Center. When you're fighting for spots for the playoffs, one or two points could make the difference. And we'll be looking back at games like tonight here at Enterprise Center as lost opportunities. Or at home. Penalties, that was a big, big piece. You know, you're wearing down some of your best players because they're out on the, the ice for so many penalty kill opportunities. Just a complete breakdown. Blues first round pick, Jake Neighbors. Braden Chan texted me and then uh, the head coach, Craig Brube, reached out as well. And um, Ryan O'Reilly as well. And then um, the next day on day two of the draft, uh, Tarasenko FaceTimed me. So uh, that was pretty cool. <laughs> so. And we're the only hockey podcast in the Hockey Podcast Network to have a Hawaiian hockey correspondent. 
the Hawaii Blues fan, Guy Benson. In true Dan Kelly fashion, Dan Kelly says, F you, Keaton. I know who's the starting pitcher for Game 4 of the World Series. You damn well know who the starting goalie is for Game 4 of the NHL season. And then walked away. And we have a musician, too. Not only is he responsible for this fat beat you're listening to right now, but he has also performed absolute works of art. And it seems to me you played the game with a candle to your ear. Never wanting to leave the eyes when the pain set in. So check out Blue Notes wherever you get your podcast from. New episodes every Monday and Thursday. I'm Tom Franklin reminding you to not be a chump. Listen to Blue Notes and always play to the whistle. A reminder that you can follow Blue Notes on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Blue Notes Pod. I'm the voice of the blues, Tom Calhoun. And we are back. Amazing guys over at Blue Notes. Remember, customized sports. Head on over there, customizedsports.com, 10% off when you use promo code SENSHOUR, and you can get yourself a custom Timmy Stutzler jersey with the amulet. You can get a branch gym with the amulet in Hogberg, or if you're a fan of any other team that has a player with the those kind of you know uh, additions, because uh, I can't find the proper word right now, for that, t- for that player's name, you can get them. No extra charge. Fantastic company. But we're going to continue this episode. We're in the last half hour, last half stretch. Big news out of Ottawa today. Brent Wallace. Wally Vision himself has somehow, some way, out of left field, been let go from TSN, is my understanding? 23 years working for TSN, and they just let him go? I mean, what is that? I, I'm very confused. Like, why now? Like, I, I we I know we talked about this like privately and whatnot. You brought up you know physical year. I don't know. I feel like this is just so far out of left field that like did it's something bizarre. happen? It's it's bizarre to say the least. I mean, maybe we'll we'll try to get Wally on for an episode, and I know he probably won't disclose anything, but it is it is kind of odd, and it's it sucks. I mean, Wally was great, especially this season when there's no media or cameras allowed in the building. I mean, he was up there filming on his iPhone for all of us to see, especially in training camp. It was awesome. I mean, and he covered the Sens to a T. I thought he did a a great, honest job for many, many years. So uh, much uh, respect and appreciation to Brent Wallace. Yeah, like I'm very, I was, when I saw it on Twitter, like I saw it pop up because I was following him. Like I have my, the notification set for whenever he tweets because he's my favorite, like he was my favorite Sens insider this season. And it's crazy. Like I was not expecting it this morning. And like, so we lost, you know, Haley, like someone, because I made a post being like, oh, you know, TSN's coverage has gone downhill. You know, Mm -hmm. Ian Mendez leaving, which I mean, I think was more of his own choice by the sounds of it than it was like anything with TSN. Oh, yeah. But then Brent Wallace, you know, being laid off, whatever the case may be. You know, we our TSN coverage has dwindled drastically. That that's a lot of credibility out the window. Like we have Bruce Garriock, who works for he doesn't even work for TSN, he works for Post Media. Yeah. Who unfortunately doesn't have the greatest relationships with this fan base. Well, it, we talked to the guys that locked on before, and I mean, you know, 
famously they were Bruce blocked as many people on Twitter are, but, uh, you know, I won't, I won't say anything bad about Bruce. Like he, he gives us the news and he's good at, you know, reporting things live as they happen. Um, but you're not wrong in that, uh, you know, the relationship there with the fan base isn't necessarily the strongest. I think it was, it was very forthcoming when he, um, expressed some of some of his personal struggles i guess on uh bell let's talk day so i i think that was nice to see and it maybe speaks a little bit as to you know some of the things that he was struggling with and going through and maybe why he made some of the choices that he made when he goes and you know quickly blocks people or you know some people think he's very sensitive so uh maybe that speaks to some of that but uh it's a loss. There's no question losing Brent Wallace is a huge loss for, for this uh, fan base. Yeah. I I mean, I wish him nothing but success. Hopefully we can have him on the show to talk sense and talk whatever future endeavors he, he may have. And, you know, we're talking about TSN. Uh, I'm still blocked on it through the, the podcast. I don't even know what I did. But Sean Simpson still has me blocked. I have oh. no idea what I did. <laughs> But I'm not surprised, though. <laughs> there was a tweet that came out that I saw uh, of him. Someone tagged me in it, so I was able to see it. Uh, DJ Smith just isn't a fan of Branstrom, uh, and that's why he hasn't been con- giving consistent time. Uh, personally, I don't believe that uh, that source. And, and maybe yeah. he did get it. Maybe he was told that. I don't know how credible that source is because I don't I don't think that's a that's the problem. I honestly I don't know how that would get out there. I mean, is DJ Smith really gonna say he's not a fan of Brandstrom or is he just making some assumptions? I I honestly I don't know how that gets out there. I know what tweet you're referring to. I seen the tweet myself and I chose to move on from it. But uh yeah, it, I, again, if you're looking at reputation here with the fan base, I, I think it's fair to say that Simmer's right in that same category with Bruce Garriock as far as, you know, relationship with the fan base is concerned, and he's probably equally sensitive. Um, and again, nothing against Simmer. I like the work that he did. I really, really appreciated the draft coverage that uh, that he put in ahead of the NHL draft, interviewing all of the um, top eligible draft picks that Ottawa could have chose. So credit where it's due, but also sometimes there's some things that just shouldn't uh, be put to social media, uh, especially when you're in a position like he is. So uh, I don't know. I would take that one with a grain of salt as well, Shane. Uh, like I, I mean, hey, coaches have preference. It's, uh, that's not going to solve anything. This isn't going to change. You know, we could fire, and this is the thing, we could fire DJ, bring on a new coach, and he may rule out the same lines. He may not like Logan Brown. He may not like Branstrom. He may think, you know, Branstrom either needs to play on his left side or he's not playing in the NHL. Like, things like that happen. It's just the way it goes. But anything that comes out of Zimmer, comes from Zimmer, I always take with a grain of salt because he was the one saying that Vegas to, for Car- like Vegas was going hard after Carlson and it was basically a done deal. He's the one who, he was the only one that I saw say that. Everyone else was like, Vegas is interested in, but the asking price is a little bit too high. So I don't know. I think some of these media guys, I mean, hey, even for us, if, if there's something that we tweet out, you know, always double check. Always, always, oh. you know, do your research. Make sure that what we're saying 
isn't, you know, our opinion or is coming from a different source than something you've seen. And if you, if that's the case, let us know. We can't, we don't always see everything. No, I, I literally too. I just tweeted out that Brandstrom would likely make his season debut on Thursday. And it's, we've already discussed that it's most likely going to be Saturday, not Thursday. So, you know, there's an example there. I, I will say that, you know, Simmer does have some credibility. He was big on the um, Tim Stutzla contract situation. He was definitely, you know, he had some contacts and he was working his contacts for that uh, ongoing storyline. So there, there's some credibility there. I, I don't want to discredit what he says, but at the same time, I think sometimes it, it may cross the line, especially, you know, in that context where he's saying that the coach is not a fan of a, a certain player. Yeah, I mean, and here's the thing. I, I predicted the the Pajot signing to a T. Said that it was going to basically mimic Charlie McAvoy's contract that he signed with Boston. People were like, no, he should get less than five mil. And lo and behold, he got $5 million from the Islanders. You know, sometimes you just need common sense to see how things are going. But I digress. Other news, Derek Stefan. Apparently he's on the trade block. There are reports coming out that Derek Stefan, he might be looking for a new place to play, and he Ottawa's looking to get rid of him. Well, that was quick. <laughs> I mean, 10 games into the season. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know why Ottawa acquired him. In, well, I do know why they acquired him. I shouldn't say that. I mean, they wanted a veteran player to come in and kind of help coach a, a player like Tim Stula. And I think originally they paired the two of them together and it just didn't work out. And I mean, Stepan hasn't been a horrible player. Um, he hasn't been a great player. Um, I think it's fair to say that he's no longer a top six player. He was not worth the second round pick that they paid for him. Um, and I think they'll have a hard time finding him a new home if that's the case, much like they've probably had a hard time finding Artem Anisimov a new home. So uh, we'll see how that situation plays out, but I, I don't know that it'll play out in Ottawa's favor, especially with the start that they've had. And I mean, hey, we don't need to trade him. Like, there's really nothing us stop, like nothing stopping us from keeping on the taxi squad or having him on, like sitting in the press box. Like, there's no reason for Ottawa to go out of their way to make a trade outside of it being probably good for you know uh, personal relationships, right? If it's one of those things where maybe he asked for a trade, maybe he talk to Pierre and DJ. He's like, I don't know if I'm a fit for this team. I don't know if I can be the player that uh, you want me to fill in the role that you're asking me to fill. I don't know if that could be the case. And if that's the case, hey, I respect the guy for coming out and admitting it, being like, I don't want to waste your time. I, I don't think I can be uh, someone who could fill the role that you're looking to fill. We won't know the ever story, but it's interesting because we've also been linked to the Vince Dung trade talks. And yeah. we, we know St. Louis has their own cap issues. They have a bunch of RFAs. They need to sign Bennington to a long-term contract if they feel like he'll be their goaltender of the future. He's a UFA. And is there a, do you think there's a, a, in a world where maybe Ottawa gets Vince Dunn and maybe a Tyler Bozak for one year? Or yeah, because I think Bozak's on his last is on may have one last year. Let me check that real quick before I continue this trade. He might have one year left, and in that case, it's nine. But I know Vince Dunn. There's talk of getting rid of Vince Dunn. Yeah, and we've talked about it. Like we've talked about Vince Dunn before, and 
I think you know where I stand on that in that, you know, he's a left shot defenseman. I think it would be a fit for this season, um, but I'm not really sure what the fit would be beyond this season for Ottawa. Um, so going out and, and paying big a, a big price, I mean, St. Louis is, is asking for a first overall or a first round pick. So that's a pretty steep price to pay for a player that you need today and maybe not tomorrow, but you know, is there a future where one of Sanderson or Brandstrom move over to the right side? Maybe, maybe Sanderson is a couple of years away and not a year away. Um, of course, we'll have Jacob Bernard Docker probably make his NHL debut next season or maybe even at the end of this season. Um, so help is on the way when it comes to the blue line, but a player like Vince Dunn would be a, an improvement over what they have now, absolutely. So it makes some sense, but it doesn't make the most sense for me. And that's why, you know, I was kind of suggesting that people shouldn't get, you know, super strung out on the Vince Dunn thing and what Ottawa would be willing to pay St. Louis. What about Victor Mede? Another left shot. Yeah. It seems, you know, his time in Montreal might be coming to an end. Again, another left shot. I don't see it working out for Ottawa, but these are guys that are going to continuously be brought up in trade discussions with our need a defense. Yeah, and Mete, I mean, he's really young. He's only 22 years old. Vince Dunn is not old either, but um, Victor Mete, he has a smaller sample size at the NHL level. He's an offensive guy. I mean, he's basically like Eric Brandstrom. I mean, he brings a lot of the same qualities to the table that Eric Brandstrom could bring. I think what they, the Senators need to try out a solution internally first, and that's what we're going to see here against the Montreal Canadiens, whether it's Thursday or Saturday, as we've talked about. Eric Brandstrom is going to make his NHL debut very, very soon, and we're going to see if he's an NHL-ready player. If he's not, and they can't solve the defensive woes internally, Pierre Dorian's going to be forced to make some some kind of move because this can't go on. I mean, we're, we're looking at record-breaking stuff here if the Senators' trend continues. That's how bad it's been. Yeah, I think it'll, it'll match. But here, okay, here's the thing. Colorado was in the same situation during the short-in year. They got Kill McCarr. They had they had McKinnon. They had Landeskog. They had they had the big name players. Their defense was garbage. Their goaltending mm-hmm. was suspect at best. So looking at looking at that kind of comparable. Ottawa has probably a deeper pool of prospects than what Colorado had at the time. Maybe, maybe having this, you know, record year in a bad way isn't necessarily the worst thing if we can turn it like people were at because I'm pretty sure it was like Sackick's third year or second year as a as the the manager in uh, Colorado, and I remember people were saying, "Oh, you know, he needs to be fired a couple of years ago." Maybe we just need to be patient and allow things to to play out before we jump on and jump down anyone's throat. Yeah, that that could be what we have to do here is just watch what we're watching again. Like we talked about this earlier as well, but just the risk that comes along with that. I guess. I mean. The idea of Pierre Dorian bringing in some of these veteran players that have been, you know, have won Stanley Cups and have been on winning teams in in the past is to generate this winning environment and for his young players to be in these games late in games. 
And I think that's what we need to see. Like, we don't necessarily need the wins, but we need to see a team that could at least compete. Because if they get into this cycle, I mean, their their development is at risk. It is at risk. And it's it's a sad thing. I mean, you do not want to risk the development of a Tim Stutzla or a Brady Kachuk or, you know, even Thomas Shabbat is young enough where the development of these players, if they continue to lose in demoralizing fashion, is not going to be good for them. So I think they need to find a way. And I don't know what the solution is. I don't think there's a quick fix in terms of a solution. You know, is it Joey Decord? Is that really the, the solution that's going to dig them out of the hole? Probably not because we mentioned, you know, the structure, the defensive structure is so bad that so many things vitally need to change for the Senators to be a better team. So we, we need to see some improvement and I'm not sure what the solution to, to that is. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, I think that I think my thing with with Ottawa and the current situation is if you look at these teams that are competing, they all really have one thing in common: multiple for like top five picks. Ottawa yeah. only has has two now, and they struggled their first couple of years in the league. You know, you look at Tampa; they have Hedman and uh, Stamkos, Vasilevsky. I'm pretty sure was like 11th overall, or no, he was like 17th overall. Another first round pick. You know, Toronto has three top 10 picks. Uh, Edmonton now, I think, has three top 10, three top five or top 10 picks with uh, Pulley Dry uh, Seidel, and McDavid. Friggin' uh, Vancouver has multiple first round picks, top 10. Horvat, Hughes, Pedersen. Uh, even I think, or no, Besser was a late first round because he was in 2015. Auto and like even Winnipeg, like all these teams in the North Division have multiple first round picks. All we're we're literally the last team in the division to not have multiple first, like top 10 first round picks on our roster over the last decade or so. You know, Montreal has had them. One of them's in Ottawa right now, Galchenyuk. So I think Ottawa fans are just realizing what every other fan base has gone through outside of Calgary. Yeah, there's you're not wrong with that, Shane. I mean, it really is a matter of Ottawa kind of waiting and seeing this thing through. There's not going to be, you know, they're not going to acquire a player. If they bring in Vince Dunn, if they bring in Victor Mete or Sam Bennett or whoever's rumored to be out there, it's not going to fix what we're seeing right now. Uh, a young Joey Decord coming up might save them for a day and might instill some confidence, but it's not going to fix anything long-term. It, it is what it is. They they have to, you know, try to find a system and a way of, of playing out of this and at least being competitive in games for, you know, for the foreseeable future, at least till the end of this season. But could they benefit from a Matthew Beneers or a, a Brant Clark, let's say, uh, two players that I think would, you know, look really good in terms of fit on the Ottawa Senators in the draft. Yeah, I mean, that's what they need to do. That's the idea of the rebuild. And it's not going to happen overnight. And even next year, I mean, you're going into next year with a lot of young players. And there there will be some renewed energy once again in the offseason for Sens fans. But if we go into next year and we see much of the same thing, at what point does Pierre Dorian's job become in jeopardy? I think, unfortunately, I think well, it won't be until after next season. The same thing with Smith. 
I think you know there's a, an agreement that hey, this year's going to be is going to be harder than they thought because of COVID and whatnot. DJ Smith is coaching his 82nd game in the NHL as a head coach on Thursday. Like he didn't get to finish out, like uh, Steve Warren mentioned on our last episode, he did not get to finish out his first year as a coach. You know, no rookie coach, even some veteran coaches, would struggle with the current situation that is the Ottawa Senators. Changing coaches doesn't change the situation. All you're doing is putting in a new voice, speeding the same thing. All you're doing is swapping out. You know, you got a tired person, you're coming in for a new shift. Same thing that they're doing, different person, and you're expecting different results. I don't see it happening. My thing is, you you mentioned Brant Clark. And because, you know, the draft's only a couple of months away because short in season. If if we draft Brant Clark, does that signify the end of Brantstrom in Ottawa? Uh, yeah, I, I would think so. I mean, I don't know where he fits long-term now. We talked about that before with the addition of Sanderson. And, and if they're unwilling to put him on his offside or, you know, try him out there, they, he just doesn't show that he belongs then he becomes the odd man out and you look for, obviously you look for an improvement at the center ice position and you start using some of the quantity that the senators have acquired here and Brandstrom being at the forefront and you start using some of those players to try to get whatever the big fish at the time is that's, that's rumored to be out there on the trade market or you try to lure someone in through free agency, but that is not an easy task if you're the Ottawa senators uh, in 2021. Or 22. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what they do this offseason. Uh, we're at, hitting up the hour mark. And next episode, we're going to actually talk about next season. We're going to talk, uh, we're going to bring it, bring it down to, obviously, we'll have our Montreal recap. Uh, we'll have both games done uh, as, you know, our episode will be out Monday and we play on Saturday and Thursday. But we'll also take a look at, you know, what possible, you know, roster adjustments can be done. For next season, I think uh, uh, it's pretty simple. You have one player gets taken off. You, you pick one player to take off for Seattle. You fill in the gaps on what's needed, and you make sure it's over the cap limit. So that'll be a fun little exercise that we're doing next episode, if everything hey, goes to plan. Hey, it might it might be hard to get over the cap. I mean, just because of how much space there's going to be there for the Ottawa Senators that. They have to do a lot of spending, so hey, you gotta overpay, overpay some guys a little bit. Um, I will say that I've already done mine because we were supposed to do it today, but things happened, uh, <laughs> and it was actually quite easy to get over over the little hump okay. of of what of what that cap space might look like. But it's definitely hard. It's definitely trying to look at the players available where and who you got to fill because it's not a, it's not top six that we're looking to fill anymore. It's that bottom six, and you got to pay some bottom six players top six money. You got to do it. Yeah, it's going to have to be done, and you're probably going to have to front load some of those contracts that are coming up, like the RFA contracts that are you know on the table right now in Brady Kachuk and Drake Batherson. You're going to have to front load some of those, and you might sign. Maybe you'll sign a long term deal to Batherson. You know, maybe you'll I, instead be, of the bridge. I'd be okay signing Batherson to like a six year deal at you know. 5 million. We don't, it's not yep. like we need the cap. It's not like we're going to be, even at the back end of his career, we're not going to be a cap compliant. Like we're not going to be a cap strap team unless, you know, we end up like Stutzler becomes a, a magnificent player. Sanderson becomes, you know, 
the next big thing. Whoever we draft this year needs a con. Like a lot of things need to play into the fact that we're going to be a cap strap team over the next couple of years. But with that being said, you know, that's all for today's episode, guys. Thank you all for joining, whoever joined in during the live stream. Thank you all for listening. Remember, subscribe to our YouTube channel, like, share the video, check us out on Twitter at uh, sense underscore hours. Stay tuned. We got some big news dropping for our food lovers and our uh, custom apparel lovers. Uh, Thank you all for coming in, and we will catch you back here. Uh, this weekend with a brand new uh, live stream for myself, Shane underscore Ryan 97, Derek D Lee 075 and best of luck. Hope you feel better uh, by the weekend and you'll be able to enjoy some senators hockey as much as possible. Thank you, sir. (laughs) We will catch you guys later. Stay safe out there and have a good one.